Yeah, it's it's so interesting because for anyone who hasn't read the book, it is a very it's a very intimate story. It's about gender, it's about sexuality and identity, it's about coming out to family and friends in my community. Hi, I'm graphic novelist Jarrett J. Krasowska, and welcome to Origin Stories. In this podcast, I go on a deep dive into the upbringings and artistic developments of some of the very brightest and most talented graphic novelists working today. In this episode, we are going to get to know how Maya Kobe became Maya Kobe. In 2019, Maya Kobe made her debut as a traditionally published cartoonist with her graphic memoir, Gender Queer. Gender Queer is about Maya's coming to air understanding and coming out as a non-binary person. It's a frank and mature book whose intended audience is for older teens and adults. This book is a look at the intensely cathartic journey Maya took, and as you'll hear from Maya in a moment, was written in part to help her family understand what it means to be non-binary and asexual. This interview was recorded well before Genderqueer became the target of book banning initiatives across the country. As is often the case with these situations, passages have been taken out of context and disseminated as whole, creating hysteria around the book. What I've often been seeing in the news is a decrying of what is and isn't appropriate for children. Of course, Genderqueer wasn't written for children, but for young adults. And I've also noticed the terms children and young adults are often lumped together as one which is a mischaracterization of where and how books deemed quote-unquote problematic are being shelved in libraries. In the Origin Stories podcast, I will be covering graphic novelists who produce work for all ages. I also want to make it clear that I am a firm believer in the First Amendment and a student's right to have access to age-appropriate literature. While my graphic memoir, Hey Kiddo, has nowhere near faced the level of book banning as genderqueer, I can speak from personal experience that is neither fun nor a badge of honor to have your book banned and to cry it is inappropriate. As the wise Dr. Reading Sims Bishop presented to us, books can serve as both mirrors and windows to readers. Meaning, when a reader recognizes their experience within the pages of a book, they can feel empowered and understood and less alone. And when a reader experiences a book as a window, they can have a deeper understanding of a life that is unlike their own experiences and develop empathy. Okay, all that said, let's get to know Maya, an incredibly talented and kind human being. Origin Stories with JJK. Jarrett J. Krasowski. Jarrett Krasowski. Before we get into my conversation with Maya, Origin Stories is sponsored in part by High Five Books, a beautiful and incredible indie bookshop here in Florence, Massachusetts. Check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories for links to buy Maya's books from this fabulous indie. And they have a limited supply of autographed copies. And while you're over on the High Five website, check out their curated list of book recommendations. Truly High Five worthy. Okay, on to my chat with Maya Kobabe. Hi, Maya. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you for spending some time with me and with us. And thank you for genderqueer for so many reasons. I'm here in... Massachusetts, but you are in Santa Rosa, California? That's that right, right, home of the Schultz Museum. <laughs> yes, we've only ever met in real life once, but it was in the, the most magical of magical spaces, which was Charles Schultz's actual art studio, like where he made 
his Snoopy yes. comic strips. Yeah, it was. I actually just looked up to remember when that was, and it was the summer of 2017. And it was a celebration for, I believe it was the 15 year anniversary of the museum being open. And we'd both been invited to, there had been like a little mini Comic Con, and we'd been, I think we'd been selling zines, and you did a panel, which I listened to, which was the first time I'd been familiar with your work. And I actually drew you in my sketchbook while you were oh. talking. <laughs> yes, I did. And I could show that to you later, I guess. It's, it's not that great of a drawing. It was just a quick like I'm in the audience probably holding my sketchbook while standing type of drawing but oh, anyway way to pay attention too I love you know I love drawing while listening to panels and stuff and then afterwards the museum staff invited the cartoonist to stay late I believe they gave us like a they pizza or something i think they, they fed us and then some of us got to tour schultz's actual studio which was very cool i had been to the museum before and because i've actually taught workshops there girl scouts actually all scouts probably can earn a badge in comic making now and so i have taught scout comic badge classes at the museum but i had never been into the actual studio before so that was pretty yeah. special so people should know that there's the Schultz Museum, but then there's the Charles Schultz Creative Associates, which is an entity that, that he created in his lifetime where he worked and operated, and that is a, adjacent to the museum. But at Charles Schultz Creative Associates, it exists as it did the day that he passed in 2000. It is unchanged. There is the space where he worked, where he drew his Snoopy stories every day, right next to his desk, there, a Snoopy phone. Famously, the back of the wall where his rolling desk chair would scrape when he would lean too far back in his chair is still there, and you can still see the worn part of the wall. Yeah, it's very it's very kept. Tell me, what kind of comics were you reading when you were a kid? Like a lot of, I would say, American cartoonists, I definitely started with newspaper strips. I have very fond memories of my dad taking the Sunday comics and laying them out flat. And then me and my sibling would lie on either side of him and he would read them to us while pointing at the speech bubble to help us follow along. And I remember that from when I was a little kid. And we would read every single one. I, like, I don't think we skipped anything in the newspaper. I was a very late reader. I didn't learn to read until I was 11 years old. So I have dyslexia and I'm just a very right-brained image thinker. And comics... It's interesting. I don't. I was not conscious at the time of comics being more accessible or easier, but I definitely have always loved comics and I always loved drawing. So it's hard for me to say whether I love comics because I could read them a little bit more easily or just because I loved images and words and fun stories. But yeah, definitely I would read them in the newspaper and then I would go to the Sonoma County Library and I would get the collections. They had many of those, the ended collections of all the strips from a year and I would get, yeah, I would get Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes and Zitz and Mutts and Get Fuzzy and Pearls Before Swine, which was written by a, another local person and everything that everyone loved. <laughs> I, I, did you always draw too? Yeah, I started drawing as soon as I could hold a pencil. And I went to Waldorf schools as a young person, which is a type of artsy, usually private or charter school, which is they really focused on handcrafts and the arts. So from first grade onward, we would we were often assigned drawings as part of our homework. And I loved that. And it, it meant that it was easier for me to be in a classroom. In I literally couldn't even read through fifth grade. I learned to read between the summers of fifth and sixth grade. But because in Waldorf school, so many of the assignments involve listening to a teacher tell a story, tell information, and then actually processing what you've learned in a drawing or doing crafts like knit painting, all these sorts of things. I think art always really helped me 
keep up with my education too. And since my teachers could, even if I couldn't write a very good essay, my teachers could see, oh, you have picked up all the details of what we were studying. So they could tell that I was paying attention and learning. How lucky to have such thoughtful adults in your life. Yes, I feel extremely lucky that I was in Waldorf school as a dreamy, artsy child, not maybe a public school or where I probably would have been pulled out and put in like some sort of remedial classes. But I was always in with all of the other students, even if I was always also in the lowest level reading and math groups. I was never taken out of the classroom. So did you have anything else that you were reading or, or maybe even watching that got you excited? I was really more inspired by books. We had so many illustrated books, loads of picture books as a kid. And then I also subscribed to, there's these magazines, I believe they're still available and people might know them. The Cricket Magazine, Spider oh, yeah. Magazine, Cicada Magazine, Ladybug Magazine. Those are in the actually oldest to youngest ascending age order. But I always got those magazines as a kid. And I loved, you know, every month you'd get like a couple short stories and they always had beautiful illustrations. And the Cricket one had a little running comic strip that went along the bottom, which was these characters. There was uh, all the, they were all bugs. There was like a spider and a grasshopper and a ladybug, and they were all friends and they would do little adventures. And I remember earliest comics was actually drawing fan strips of the bug comic. <laughs> it's, it's so cool. So would you look at those those fan comics as the first visuals had a narrative element to them? I guess it's really hard to pinpoint what was right. like the first. I do have loads of drawings. I also, my mom read out loud to my sibling and I, my sibling's two years younger. My mom read loads, reading chapter books out loud to us at night before we went to bed. Definitely through me being in eighth grade, maybe even into high school. I don't exactly remember when that tradition stopped, but she would read to us for much longer than I think some parents continue to read to their children. And it was often even a book that I had already read. I would read a book it and give it to my mom and be like, you should read this to Phoebe. And but because we shared a bedroom, I would just also be there for story time. And so I was usually drawing in a sketchbook while my mom was reading out loud. And I would very frequently be drawing fan art. And, and so from having read Gender Queer, you're you're super into yes, fantasy as well. Um, right? Very into Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Narnia, the Alana series by Tamora Pierce, the Redwall books by Ryan Shocks. And there were so many series that I loved. I, I still really love fantasy and science fiction, but I definitely had a phase of in my sort of teen years where I would not read a book unless it had a dragon, an elf, a sword, a castle, or like a wizard on the cover of it. I love it. I completely, for a long time, completely uninterested in reading books that were set in the real world or in the present. And you know what? I, I think that's what kids really need, right? Is uh, to be allowed to follow whatever those passions are. And that's going to get them continuing to read. Like my middle kid is super into uh Graphic, realistic graphic novels in which the main character deals with some kind of illness or gets hurt in some way. And Niche, but in these days, you can actually find them. Yes. Like when I was a kid, would not have been able to find those realistic graphic novels of sick kids 12 years ago, 15 years ago, probably. But now you can find them. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of what drives us, and, and by us, I mean you and me, our colleagues that are all making graphic literature, is is we're making books for the kids that that we were, right? And, and also, what book would I have loved as a kid? What book could have helped me as a kid? And I could tell you, as the father of a non-binary kid, Genderqueer helped me understand them so much more and what they might be going through, but they're not yet able to verbalize that because they're still in third grade. I don't know, Maya, if you fully yet understand the positive ramifications of your courage, because you know it 
it's really hard to write graphic memoir. You take this thing that's just really difficult that you don't talk about. And for me, that was my mother's heroin addiction, which, which I never talked about as a kid. And now I'm going to write all of the details and draw those details into a book for everybody to read. And then I'm going to have to answer questions about it because the publisher will want me to go on book tour for it. And, and at the very beginning of Genderqueer, it, it's, it's so powerful. You're, you're in grad school for comics and your teacher asks you to write down secrets, like your, your, your deepest secrets. And you wrote your deepest secrets, but then you immediately covered them up in your sketchbook. And now that story is published for all to see. I often feel like I'm the annoying person who says, you know, I, I like that band before everyone else. And whenever I have a book and it doesn't have the award stickers, I get a little smug because you won a few award stickers at the American Library Association, right? It has a Stonewall Book Award and an Alex Award now. Could, could you tell me a little bit about the journey that you took from thinking, you know, I can't believe this teacher has asked us to write about this secret to now having that book be published. Because I, I was tracking you after we first met at the Charles Schultz Museum and I started following you on Instagram. And, and Gender Queer is, is also your first traditionally published book, correct? Yes. Yeah. So Gender Queer, yeah, it's my first full length book. It came out in May of 2019, which is also the month that I turned 30 years old, which Yay. is the best birthday present ever. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting because for anyone who hasn't read the book, it is a very, it's a very intimate story. It's about gender. It's about sexuality and identity. It's about coming out to family and friends in my community. And then having to answer a lot of questions about what does it mean to be non-binary? What does that, how does that relate to how you feel about your body, how you feel about sex and relationships and your own relationship to the world. And it was a lot, it's a lot. And like you mentioned at the beginning, I too consider myself and feel like I'm a fairly shy and private person. I have a public persona, which I feel like I can turn on at a convention if I need to talk to people for hours and hours, but it's not my natural state. It is, it's a stage presence to a certain extent. And yet I have published this deeply revealing memoir. It, it took a lot of emotional work to be ready to put this book into the world, as I'm sure you also had to do to put out Hey Kiddo, which I read and loved Thank when you. it came out. And it's, yeah, it's, I'd say that journey started in grad school. I went to California College of the Arts in San Francisco, which has a wonderful master's program in comics. And I was in the first ever class. So I was in the guinea pig uh, group. Um, and I had wonderful teachers, but one of them is Mari Naomi, who is also a comic book um, author who writes fiction and memoir. And she challenged us, this was in the year 2013, to do this assignment, which is based out of Linda Berry syllabus assignment, which is to write about one of your demons, which is basically one of your darkest secrets. The type of thoughts that you that come to you late at night that you feel like you're never going to be able to share with anyone because they're too private or too shameful or too, it's too just scary to talk about. And it was really hard. It was really hard to write about that, especially I was in the first week of a grad program. I was at the cohort of students I had met days before. I was in a new school where I didn't really know anyone. And there was this teacher saying, oh, write about your deepest, darkest secret. And I was like, <laughs> yikes. And I wrote this little comic and it was about struggling with gender. And I was made so uncomfortable by it. I, I taped over those pages in my sketchbook and I didn't look at them for five more years. It really took a, a long time for that to come. Maybe not quite, four, maybe four years. Cause I started, so then 
it was also when I was in grad school that I started to, for the first time, meet a lot of other trans and non-binary people. I had a non-binary professor, Melanie Gilman, who is a wonderful cartoonist, flies, and stage dreams, lots of really good, beautiful uh, stories for teens. And so then having a professor who used they, them pronouns professionally, like in the classroom, and then having hearing the other teachers like referring to them with they them pronouns and our classmates working on this because it was definitely a learning curve for all of us that was really impactful and i started to come out as non-binary to like close friends and family in 2016 but i wasn't yet comfortable being out professionally or in i guess the wider sphere and for me, professionally in the wider sphere is the comics community. It's we would be at being out at comic conventions. And it was just, I was having such a hard time figuring out how do I introduce this subject? Like how do I ask for pro- these pronouns? How do I even broach this, basically? And a friend of mine was like, you should make comics about it. And obviously, yeah. that was obvious. It's like it's so obvious, but it was also like, oh, like comics is my medium. This yeah, is like language. language that I, yeah, that I feel most comfortable in, that I trained in, that I have a degree in. I have to make comics about this. And it started with a bunch of just these little square comics that I posted on Instagram. I, I was so nervous to put this material online. And the little strips that I posted were just, they were not chronological. They were not the beginning of a book. They were just moments. It was just anytime I had a gendered interaction, I would write about it. Or if I think back and I would, and I'd write memories from my childhood, totally out of order, just as they occurred to me. And I would put them online and the feedback was immediate and so positive and so generous and warm and supportive. I got people, you know, responding with things like, I hadn't, didn't know that anyone else in the world felt this way, or I didn't even know there was a word for this, or I thought I was alone until I read this comic and like that kind of thing. And it was just incredible, way beyond the response to any other comics work I had made up to that point, because most of what I've made up to that point was fantasy stories. I had been yeah. writing yeah. a long running fantasy web comic of the type that I loved as a young person, but that was getting absolutely no traction whatsoever online. And I think probably part of why is because it was missing this emotional core. I was not comfortable talking about gender or sexuality or identity in my work previous to this. And when I finally started sharing it and being vulnerable and being real, that's when people started actually responding to my work. So if, anyway, that that Instagram series, eventually there was enough of it that I was like, I think this is a book pitch. And I pitched it to Lion Forge was the company at the time. It's Oni Press now. And I had a wonderful editor, Andrea Colvin, who really helped me shape this from a series of little strips into an actual full-length narrative. Did you have this epiphany where you thought, oh, you know, all this time I was there for the castles and dragons, but but really it was the emotions between those characters that kept you into the fantasy? Do you think that was part of it? I think it's both. I do love a dragon story. <laughs> so will, yeah, we no. get, will we get dragon stories from you? Because of course- Oh, you know, I have a script that I've been working on for a bajillion years that's literally just called The Dragon Story. The dragon. Yeah, someday. It's, I, I I dearly want to, I want to, I definitely will write more memoir. I, I know that I will. But I also like really want to write fiction and science fiction stories and fantasy stories. But the difference now is that post-genderqueer, um, there will be non-binary teenage characters in these dragon and, and science fiction stories. Absolutely. So. If you're enjoying my chat with Maya and want to see the conversation, which includes visuals of the books we reference, check out studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories. I recorded this talk via Switcher Studio. Switcher Studio is a simple and powerful iOS app 
that makes your live video feeds look like a professionally produced piece. Your iPad becomes like the production control room as you switch between your iPhone camera, which acts as a webcam, your remote guests, any pre-recorded video or visuals that you want to bring on screen. I would like to thank Switcher Studio for sponsoring this podcast. And as a thank you to you for listening, you may use code STUDIOJJK at switcherstudio.com to receive a free month of the service. You have really opened up so many important conversations, Maya. You know, I'm often posting book recommendations to my social media. And after I had posted about genderqueer, I heard from a lot of educators who appreciated having a resource to help them better understand uh, their genderqueer, non-binary students. So genderqueer, you know, it also sort of acts as a, as a guide to cisgendered people to help them better understand what it might be like to be genderqueer or non-binary. Yeah, I definitely, I wrote this book. The audience that I had in mind was, one, was non-binary readers who often have not seen themselves reflected in books before. But two, I really was writing it being like, this is for my extended family. And I'm Mm -hmm. writing it, it's almost like a letter to my family. The ones who, you know, when I came out said, we love you, we support you, but we have no idea what you're talking about. And thinking this is what I want to say to somebody who loves me and supports me, but doesn't really get where I'm coming from exactly. And so I wrote it trying to be like, like, this is why this is important to me. This is what I'm trying to say in these like conversations when I get stumble over my words and it ends up in fragments. And maybe you ask a question that leads me off on this side tangent that then we lose our main point. This is me sitting down and try, finally trying to say everything to explain what I mean that I identify as genderqueer, like what that means. And some of the absolute best feedback that I've gotten is people telling me that they either give it to their parents or if they're a parent, give it to their children and that they were then able to understand each other better and like, yeah, have a conversation or, or like people saying like, I gave this to my relative and now they use my pronouns is just like, oh, the oh. best. And, and, you know, books are a safe space to have those conversations. Uh, I, I know it sounds like a cliche to say that one suffers for their art, but but you did suffer to get this story out of you and out there and out into the world. And because you did that hard work, uh, you know, Genderqueer is going to be helping the countless Maya Kobabes across the world. And uh, we are also thankful for that. Uh, you know, be- before I let you go, Maya, could we read a little bit together from your book? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Graphic Novels Readers Theatre. A month and a half into my freshman year. All right, class, we have a visitor. Please welcome David. Hi, Omi. I'm a senior here. I'm also the only openly gay student on campus. I want to start a queer straight alliance. We're going to meet on Fridays at lunch. Please come if you are interested. The table where my friends and I ate lunch every day was not more than 50 feet from the QSA meeting the next Friday afternoon. My friends chatted as usual while I vibrated with nervous energy. Finally, I got the courage to say, I'm gonna go check out the QSA meeting. Oh. I'll see you later. Okay. It was the most nerve-wracking 50-foot walk of my life. Hello? Welcome. Yay, Maya. Yay, Maya. Hey, you're here. I am here. The QSA meeting was full of familiar faces. Over half the members were girls from my own class. Come sit with us. Okay, thanks. Are they all gay? 
I brought two articles I was thinking we could discuss for our first meeting. Massachusetts just declared that they will start allowing gay marriage beginning in May of next year. And the Central Park Zoo gave an egg to a pair of gay penguins, and they raised a chick together named Tango. Aww! Aww. Gay, gay penguins. penguins! I left the meeting wondering why I'd been so nervous to enter it. That was so cool! A friend from QSA lent me Strangers in Paradise by Terry Moore. I devoured them. One day, my best friend gave me a note. Don't read any more gay romances. You get absolutely unbearable for days after. But by the end of the year, she had started coming to QSA meetings with me. This group morphed into a Lord of the Rings fan club, with meetings devolving into hours of discussion about which of the Lord of the Rings actors were most likely to be gay. Well, Maya, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I will continue to follow you on Instagram. I will wait patiently for that dragon story, and I'm here at the ready to cheer you on when that book publishes. Thank you so much. This is so lovely to talk to you today. <laughs> yes, and it was so nice to speak to you too. And look, we only met in real life once. Uh, and I look forward to being in the same room with you again. If you know if it's that magical studio space of Charles Schultz or just the, the hallway of a convention center, I look forward to it. Fingers crossed we can do comic conventions again. Again, thank you to Maya for chatting and thank you for listening. If you are interested in picking up some of Maya's books and you'd like to order online while supporting a human with a dream, head to studiojjk.com forward slash origin stories for a link to High Five Books, a wonderful sponsor of the show. I've been your host, Jarrett J. Krasoska. You may learn more about me and my work by visiting my website, studiojjk.com. Or if you're on social media, find me there. I'm on pretty much all of the platforms. My handle across the board is at Studio JJK. Thanks so much for listening.